Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 4, Episode 7. It's the Great Pumpkin, Sam Winchester. Let's get this show on the road. I love that for once I get the reference immediately. The one time, yay! <laughs> what a what an adorable way to start a Halloween episode that winds up having, I'm just going to say, I think the most gruesome death of the series so far. I feel like this fear kind of plays on a fear that, especially us with our age group, we've been raised on. Because like, you know, Halloween, you always check the candy for needles, particularly, and razor blades, like. Apparently, it's only ever been like two instances of the razor blades in candy ever. And both instances was like the parent putting in their own kids candy. What? It's terrible that it's happened. But in both cases, they were like done internally. It wasn't like someone put the stuff in the candy, then gave it out to strangers. They like did it to their own children, whether to further a narrative or because they were trying to like hurt their kids. I don't know or want to speculate, but like apparently there's no instance of like ever actually finding something dangerous in candy that was handed out. I've heard things, again, I can't really fact check on the fly like this, Drew. You're really, <laughs> like, you have a lot of faith in me here. This is a call for the listeners. They can fact check me for this time. But I did read somewhere that, that the incidence of this is incredibly low. Again, not to say that you shouldn't check the candy when you get your kids' candy at Halloween, but it's incredibly low. No, you have to check it. I mean, how are you going to know which ones to steal? Or which raisins to throw away? Accurate. Are you ready to steal the recap? Yes, I am. Count me down. Three, two, one, go. Cold open, parents with a really adorable child, and mom's got candy because Halloween's coming up. Ooh, it's so exciting. We all like Halloween. And then you go steal a few candies, and then there's razor blades in it, and then the razor blades are in him, and there's a lot of them, and it's horrible, and he is killed by razor blades. The most gruesome death of the scene I, I think I, we've had so far, t- second only to the one comes, coming next. Brothers get involved. They show up, find a hex bag. Then there's another case. They figure out it's a witch making sacrifices, trying to raise some sort of evil spirit who they call Sam Hain, which I'm hearing is apparently not the proper pronunciation, but we'll get to that later. And then they think it's the random hot cheerleader that Dean kind of wishes he could be reincarnated as. We'll talk about that later. And then it turns out, no, it's the creepy art teacher and he's blaming the girl and they catch him and he has the girl tied up. And then it turns out they're both in on it. They're siblings and they're really old witches. And then they managed to fail at stopping them because they had a time limit because the angels decided if you don't do it, we're going to wipe this town off the face of the earth because they can do that apparently and are willing to, even though that's a fake out in the end because it's so so much goes on in this episode. The thingy, Sam Hain gets raised. Sam, because he has no choice, like I predicted, has to use his powers to stop it and Dean gets sad and time. There's a lot in this episode. There is so much in this episode. Let's head over to the long game so that we can then move into story time. For purely petty and vindictive reasons, I want to track every character that we meet on this series who is named Jenny. And in this episode, the high school student who dies while bobbing for apples is named Jenny. Now, I don't know what I'm going to do with that list once it's made, but I'll have it. (laughs) So is this our first Jenny? You ask a trick question here. (laughs) You'll explain what that means when the time comes, I guess? 
I think that that is the way to go with this. Yes. Jenny's death is probably the second most like horrifying on the series to date. Like this episode wins that alone for these two deaths. I find that a lot of the deaths by witches are pretty gruesome. Oh, yeah, true. The last witch episode, too, they got pretty bad. Oh, yeah. We find out that neither Sam nor Dean nor Cass know how to pronounce Samhain. I didn't know this because I'm not a native English speaker, but the word S-A-M-H-A-I-N is pronounced Samhain in American English and Sown in British English. I'm going to take your word for it. I realized in my lore section today he wasn't the focus. So do we know the origin for this name? Because that spelling with that pronunciation makes me think Gaelic or Celtic. I think you'd be right. I don't know exactly. But yes, it, it does seem like this is pretty much where it's from. We've all seen those memes or TikTok videos of like someone presenting their friends an, an Irish or Celtic or Scottish name and them trying to pronounce it. And it's just like. There's like, how could you know this unless you just grew up knowing it? And that's why I'm saying that I didn't know this because I'm not a native English speaker. And usually I really don't fault people for mispronouncing words because I know what it's like to kind of grow up or to go on only reading certain words. But at the same time, this is like this is a TV production. And I sort of would be expecting a little bit more, especially when it's like the same language. When you're part of a production company that's putting this whole thing together and you have, you assume some level of research going on, you think somewhere, somehow it would come up. Like, it seems pretty weird that it wouldn't have. But then again, we've all also seen clips of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch saying penguins. So really, how do we fault anyone for not saying anything? So Dean has a fixation on cheerleaders. First, he makes a really inappropriate comment about Tracy, who, you know, as far as we know, is a child. And then he says he wished he could reincarnate as a hot cheerleader. That raised many eyebrows over here. Do you have anything to say about it? I have what to say about it when time comes. Okay, wonderful. We also see Dean fat shaming a kid after he himself ate all the candy that they had in the Impala. I mean, it felt out of place, but it also felt like he was talking to the kid as if he was himself, you know, like calling a kid, telling a kid that he shouldn't eat more candy when you have eaten all of the candy that you just purchased is kind of awkward. Dean reflecting in other people and making fun of them for traits he has the same way he'd, you know, call Sam gay or something. No, I doesn't read at all. So that's what I was thinking, right? I think that the more generous reading here for Dean is that this is something that he would have heard from John and then repeated like in in a moment where he felt shame himself about having eaten all the candy and sort of like acted defensive about it. And we know that Dean's relationship with food is is uh, a bit rocky because he went without for a while for a very long time. There seems to be a lot of internal work to do here. I kind of write away in my first instance, which is like, oh, what a like gross thing for them to write into Dean. But Given what we've read about Dean and how we've interpreted him so far, this is actually part of the course and I think a really important piece of the reading of Dean. Once he finds a little bit more compassion for himself, he'll be able to find more compassion for others. And I mean, we've seen him be wonderful with children too before. So like, that's why I'm thinking, like, I think that this was just a moment where he felt shame and he just like projected that onto, onto this child who just wanted candy. Sam meets Cass. 
Finally! But it doesn't really go the way that Sam expected. Thought it was hilarious, but yes. And it's Sam's turn to feel shame in this moment. We also meet Uriel, who is the specialist in quote-unquote purifying entire cities. Not the friendliest of uh, characters, although I'm getting the vibe that Cass is kind of the exception to the rule with angels, and even then, that's only because I know more about him than we already do, and yeah. Not, not a fan? I don't like him? I like him as, a, as a, like an actor, character, like, within the world, but like, as like, a character I'd want to, no, no, no. I feel that, and I think that that's exactly what uh, the writing team wants us to feel. So in that sense, very effective as a character. I also do love his um, his term for humans, which just, it sounds like an insult. Like, it just, it, it mud monkeys. It just sounds like a slur. Like, that is such a, like, this is the angel slur word for humans. I think that the show, and again, like, you know how I feel about trying to ascribe intent, but like, I can't help but notice that this is said by a black man and that monkey is a word that's been used to describe black people in a very derogatory way and to have him say that was definitely meant to be used as a derogatory term for humans in a way that I think the show just wanted to do like a shocking moment of like quote-unquote reverse racism oh my god I am like self combusting as I'm saying those words. It does have that kind of power because I think as soon as you hear it, it's very clear what the intent is within the universe. And then take a step back and read it as a black man saying it. And yes, it's very much the show's trying to do more than they needed to and not succeeding per se. But I I still within the universe like that they have a term for this, which is a kind of a weird thing to say. I just wish that they would have picked anything else, frankly, like ants, like anything at all would have been better than that, in my opinion. And that's why that's why I'm a little like about it. I get that 100 percent. And then we're going to talk about it later. But Dean and Cass have their very first moment in in a park, in a public park. Oh, is that a recurring thing? Cute. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, they had some cute moments this episode, at least towards the end. Yes, certainly. Now, with the long game wrapped up, let's head over to story time. This week, our theme is fanaticism. And before we dive into the story, I figured we could talk a little bit about what fanaticism actually is. And it comes from the French fanatique, which comes from the Latin fanaticus, which is derived from Latin phanum, which means temple. Oh, So there is a religious connotation at the root of the word. And today it's used mostly related to being, quote unquote, filled with excessive and single-minded zeal, especially for an extreme religious or political cause. Basically following religion or a political cause to the extreme. This, I guess, is where I start to have some questions because I also am not a person who has religious faith, but then what is the difference between faith and fanaticism, and particularly the phrase unwavering faith? That's not to say that there isn't a difference, right? I don't want to be saying that, but I'm sort of asking this, again, as somebody who doesn't experience religious faith. It's something that I genuinely wonder, and I'm, I, I would love to hear from our listeners about that. I'm like trying to like put into words myself. I'm not going to. I think that's your way I want to hear from people before I start 
spouting my own thoughts, but it's a very interesting way to, uh, to think about it. I also think that this show tries to answer this question, like through the seasons. And I don't quite know if it comes to an, to a conclusion. These are like the big questions of life. Some of the big questions anyway. I'll also be curious to see how people react to our discussion of fanaticism between Sam and Dean and their choices this week, because I'll wonder if there is maybe some leniency or it can be used as an example to kind of explain the difference between faith and fanaticism. I'm sure that there is, and that maybe we'll be able to kind of like come to some sort of answer by the end of this episode and this discussion. But for now, I know that I don't really know if there's a difference between unwavering faith and fanaticism. For me, anyway, again. In my heart, I feel there is. I won't, we'll, we'll leave sure this for is. another day. Well, yeah, we'll leave it for another day. Uh, so why don't we jump on down and compare the choices made at the crossroads this week by our two lovely boys. How about Dean? So I think that Dean's biggest choice in this episode is basically to give the middle finger to the angels and to put trust in himself and in Sam. And he's willing to bet both of their lives on it. He refuses to leave the town and he basically says, I'm important. You can't kill me. So I'll stay here to try to save the people in this town. And that's something that we've discussed. I think it was around season two that Dean actually has a really great amount of faith and especially in what him and Sam can accomplish. And here we're kind of seeing an extreme version of that where he's willing to die to prove his point. Now, of course, he didn't know at the time that the angels were never going to smite the town, but I feel like that's a whole other story. I think this is a great moment. I feel like sometimes these choices can easily fall on one of two sides of the coin. And in this case, I really feel it's a positive moment for Dean to have that level of, I mean, confidence is the right word here. It comes off as cocky a bit, especially when it's Dean kind of playing up his role. But I truly believe Dean believes that him and Sam can do this. I genuinely think so. I think that he knows what he and his brother are capable of, and he's willing to bet his life on it. Yeah. What fascinates me in this episode is the callback to Dream a Little Dream of Me, where Dean tells Cass, what are you, just a couple of hammers? Implying that Cass and Uriel are basically the blunt instruments of heaven, just following the orders without questioning them. Do you remember Dean in Dream a Little Dream of Me when he's having this African dream root dream and Demon Dean tells Dean, Dad knew who you really were, good soldier, nothing else, daddy's blunt little instrument, your own father didn't care whether you lived or died. And this is really juicy in this moment because like, Dean is confronted with his own fanaticism for his father by seeing the same kind of thing in Cass and Uriel, particularly Cass, I think. And it's a fleeting moment, but I just find it so profound. The point that I'm making sort of gets proved seconds later when Cass says, when your father gave you an order, didn't you obey? Ugh. And this is really what the text itself is pointing to. It's a really good parallel. Again, this show is so good, even when it can be blunt sometimes with these amazing parallel moments for the boys <laughs> comparing the way Cass treats God to the way Dean treats his father, I think says so much about the relationship and how flawed it is on both sides. And I, something tells me this isn't going to be the last time we see this kind of comparison between Cass and Dean. 
Well, we've seen Dean call his dad as an act of prayer, particularly in season one. I'm thinking about home. This isn't the first time that we're comparing John to God. And so here I think it's a bit more crystallized because we're seeing the other side of that with Cass truly talking about God as his father. We've seen it with Dean as well in just the duality that he can have when thinking of John. He will be the good little soldier, but he won't admit it to himself almost. And I think that's kind of what we're getting to with Cass here. We kind of get some moments with Cass and Uriola on their own when they reveal that they would never actually destroy the town or they're here to listen to Dean's orders. There's kind of a level of like, one of them wants to do it even if Dean says no, and Cass is like, no, we're following orders because we're good little tools. I mean, damn it. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll be very I'll be very curious to see Cass's arc, which I feel if I had to put money on, it might be his. Um, I, I don't want to say like leaving heaven, but kind of like questioning God a little bit. We're going to start talking about that a little bit later because Cass does say that he has doubts in this episode. Oh, he does, right? He does, yeah. Mm. Is there anything else about Dean that you'd like to point out? I just really want to go back to, we were talking about before with the, like, taking this bet on himself and Sam. I mean, he truly believes they can beat this threat with, especially after they get this sudden, like, time limit on their, uh, against them. While Dean can be quite cocky when it comes down to it, he's not wrong to bet on him and Sam. Like, they've done some crazy stuff. They are worth being fanaticized over, which, I mean, two people doing a podcast about the show might kind of prove my point. They really should have faith in themselves. It's 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 weird to think that there is a level of like, oh, should they like or should they not? No, no, they should 100 percent. Like, this isn't a question. They were right to do this. Yes, the cockiness is a thing, but I think ultimately they really were in the right to try this. And I really want to side with Dean on this choice this week. Well, I think it's also easy to side with Dean or like easier to side with Dean because he was in this particular moment on the side of like trying to save human lives. You know, it <laughs> morally, it's easier to align yourself with someone who's like, I want to save everyone. But I mean, even to go a step back, like I feel like there's times where Dean says we're going to try something and deep down doesn't believe himself. I think this is one of those times where like he believed in himself and was right to do so. Which he should always be doing, you know, self. It kind of makes me wonder about what would happen if Dean did encounter something that he thought he couldn't beat. Would he still think that he could beat it? Would he put up that bravado? Like, what would that look like? And I think, I think this is where we're kind of like bordering between faith and fanaticism. That is really well said. Thank you. On that lovely note, shall we go to our tallest bean, Sam, and discuss uh, his choice this week? Do you want to get started? I think it's easy to say Sam's choice this week was, uh, you know, to use his demon powers again, despite saying he wouldn't, which I totally called. But at the same time, I agree completely that it was likely an easier choice after meeting the angels, after being faced by something that he up until this point, thought was infallible and perfect and great and angels and all the, the things you, you would expect from Cass. And after meeting and seeing the people he had such high regard, even prayed to, as he admits, could be so awful towards humanity. I think from that point on, not only is he okay using it again, I think he's looking for an excuse to break out the old demon powers. 
We can, of course, blame the sudden time limit or the lack of preparation. I don't know, you would assume that their experience, they'd have more demon-stopping tools at their disposal, and they could have come prepared with a bit more, but maybe Sam was kind of okay going in underprepared, knowing he had his little uh, magic trick in the back pocket that he was kind of more willing to use now that he knew uh, the people asking him not to so nicely were uh, less than pleasant. And you had called it, right? It was predictable, but it's still a doozy. There's a part of me that really wonders how much of it had to do with the angels being dicks. Because he does say, you know, like, I thought they'd be different. I thought they'd be righteous. And Dean replies, there's nothing more dangerous than some a-hole who thinks he's on a holy mission. And that's another juicy one, because that applies to our theme and to most of the characters in this episode. Because you could say that as much as holy might not be the right word for it, Sam's whole using demon powers to eventually get to Lilith and kill her kind of feels like a uh, twist on the old hero's journey's uh, holy mission. And so when is there as well in order to raise whatever kind of hell <laughs> he wants to raise? So that's another holy mission. Dean is on his quest to save the people of the town. The angels are on their mission. And everybody thinks that they're right in their own regard, right? And so it's then up to the viewer to kind of decide who they align with. And honestly, like if I had to use one line to describe fanaticism, I think that that would be it. There's nothing more dangerous than some a-hole who thinks he's on a holy mission. Now that you've said it, that is the line for me between faith and fanaticism. The not willing to accept you can be wrong versus the belief I think fanaticism is taking it a step too far, which is what we're kind of seeing everyone do in this episode. I think that faith is believing that you are right, and fanaticism is believing that you can't be wrong. You put the words I was trying to say right in my mouth. Thank you. Like, if we think about this also, the fanaticism in the angels is also what activated or reactivated the fanaticism in Sam. In his case, it's not believing that him and Dean can take care of Soen, it's that he can take care of Soen. Can we conclude that the message of this episode is to say that fanaticism breeds more fanaticism? Oh, yeah. You know, because if on your end, you're unwilling to admit that your plan may have flaws, the people in front of you are going to dig their heels in deeper and farther away from you, you know, than if you were open to dialogue, perhaps. Now, the other observation that I have here is that it's also easier to recognize fanaticism in people that you don't agree with. For sure. And I think that both of these things are really easy to see in the conversation between Sam and Uriel, where Uriel tells Sam that he was told not to use his powers. And the more he says that to Sam, the more Sam feels vindicated in using them or to have used them, actually. Well, that's like I was saying, I feel like there's a part of Sam that's more willing to if if even going as far as and with the theme of fanaticism, I think it's even more likely the case looking for an excuse to use his powers again, almost out of spite for the angels who think they're better than him. Yeah, exactly. There you go. It, it, it's basically the two the, the things that we were we were talking about, about how like the more someone argues with you that they can't be wrong, the more you're like, well, I'm not wrong. 
when you come across an opposing force, you have to fight harder, which means believing in your point more, which means being less lenient and you create an opposite force. Did you have something? Yeah. Well, I have a question for you. After this discussion, would you say that Cass is a fanatic? You know, when I first heard you say it, I almost wanted to say yes right away. But we have this great moment where you can kind of compare him to Uriel, who, though Uriel also tries to get around uh, their orders, he seems to be doing them in the in the service of a greater good. He believes that he is making a better choice because it's the more correct choice that he is so fanatical about believing God's word that it's more important to take care of the situation and just let bygones be bygones than what their actual mission is, which is to go out and help Dean. Whereas Cass seems to be very happy to let Dean take charge because he's seeing a better decision being made than the one the person he's supposed to obey is making or would make. I just think it's interesting to kind of see the shift in cast during this episode where he goes from, you know, have faith. The plan is just because it comes from heaven that makes it just. And then at the end of the episode, he says, I'm not a hammer. As you say, I have questions. I have doubts. I don't know what is right and what is wrong anymore. Full on doubting daddy God. It has huge, like, if loving you is wrong, then I don't want to be right energy to me. (laughs) Very much so. Are we ready to head over to critical time? I can't wait. Let's go. So who was behind this episode? This episode was directed by Charles Beeson, who directed Playthings and Roadkill in season two, and Sin City and Time is on My Side in season three. And it was written by Julie Siege, and this is the first of six episodes in season four and five for Julie. I'm going to say I, I really enjoyed this episode. This is definitely a, a uh, an upper tier. I don't think it's going to break any top 10 lists, but I think it's definitely going to be uh, an, a, a one I would I would happily watch again. On 327 episodes. Yeah, this doesn't break a top 10 list, but it's a good one. <laughs> it's an enjoyable one. I feel like I very clearly kind of have the like fillers I can skip versus fillers I want to watch. And this one while isn't fillery is still very much in the will rewatch episodes. I'll be interested to see more of Julie. I always like when we get a writer's first time. It's always kind of fun. And I'm looking at Charles Beeson's, you know, history and uh, not the best list, in my opinion, of episodes. Like there's definitely some stinkers in there. But this this was a yeah, this was this was a good return to form, given play things. I think it's impressive to see after kind of not the greatest track record, but I did enjoy Playthings, another episode that I've enjoyed again. So it's it's nice to see that there's a recovery. I don't think I need a forecast for Charles going forward like I do with some other. I mean, he is also the director, so he doesn't have much to say when it comes to like the actual writing of the episode. So I don't think we can really fault him for that. I have yet to find many episodes where I liked the directing or the camera work, but didn't like the content. Usually when one shines, the other does too, so... Yeah, that's true. I get that. Are you ready for your lore? Oh, am I. It was terrifying. She was tied up, hanging from a wall, her wrists and her ankles bound. Her mouth gagged. She couldn't scream. She tried, but it wasn't very effective when she could. She'd fought so hard against the ropes 
that small drops of blood began to trickle down her arms and feet. She wasn't there long, but when you're held captive like that, even an hour or two begins to feel like an eternity of struggling. All this fear and agony in her eyes as she eventually began to take in the room around her. Though the symbols and carvings on the walls were out of sight, given that she was hanging on that wall, there was enough lying around to clearly tell her where this was going. When the sacrifice was made, it was quick. One knife to the heart. No torture, just quick and easy death. Kind of like yours is going to be. I just need to get her body dumped tonight, and then tomorrow night, it's your turn number three. And yes, if you keep struggling like she did, you'll start bleeding too, and that's all your own fault. That's why I gave you the warning. Sacrifices like those seen in this week's episodes tape really far back, like prehistoric times far back. Sacrificing a human to a king, a god, or some other type of ritual is not unique to any particular people. It's happened all over the world in all sorts of cultures and religious backgrounds. At least I can say luckily, it's pretty much fallen out of practice in modern day. I mean, you say this as we just went through Easter. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oddly timed episodes. <laughs> so I just think it's it's interesting because there is very much such a thing as like the sacrificial lamb in the Easter story. Yes, sacrificing human beings you know, thankfully, is no longer a thing. Most countries have actually outlawed it because it needed to be explicitly outlawed that you couldn't kill someone even if it was to, I don't know, get better crops or something. It's now it's just considered murder. Would you have anything to share with us this week? I want to talk about the jailbait moment. Okay. So if you do some quick math, uh, Tracy is an emancipated minor, so maybe 16, 17. And Dean in 2008 would have been 29, lusting after a 16 or 17-year-old. Yeah, no. Yeah, so I'm not going to go into the ways in which this is wrong, but I do want to talk about how that relates to the theme of fanaticism. Because we've talked before about how TV making is a team sport and basically how decisions aren't made just by one person. There's a bunch of layers and approval process. You know, things are written, then they're reviewed, rewritten, acted, directed, modified. There's additional takes and edits and rewrites. In my opinion, there's really no excuse as to why this still made it to the finished product. How do we link that back to fanaticism somehow? Okay, I want to say that this show and so many people working on it were so committed to making Dean look like a player and a horn dog that they used any and all opportunities to make him look horny, no matter how inappropriate it was. And this isn't the last time that we're going to see things like this, by the way. So by never stopping to ask the question, like, are we really willing to make Dean horny at any cost? I really think that this show is not doing any favors to Dean's character, because in this, in this really fleeting moment that didn't add anything to the story... They made Dean sound like he's totally cool with statutory rape. That is so upsetting to me because the Dean that we've seen so far would absolutely level any adult taking advantage of a teenager that way. All that in the name of making him look horny. I'm embarrassed that I didn't even like put that together. Like as soon as an emancipated minor and I was like, oh my God, that's right. Oh, that is so, so creepy to think about now. 
Now, of course, we find out that like this is a hundred something year old witch, but like I, you know, in that moment, Dean doesn't know, the audience doesn't know, and we're supposed to just find it funny. Like, I don't know. No, I do know. And it's, it's not cool. Supernatural. Big, big red fail on that one. I no, not okay with it. You know, I thought you were going to take a different angle in this one. And I just feel like the whole sexualization of minors. I mean, didn't Netflix do a show like in the last year or two? That was all about like high school gymnastics and like really like push the sexy angle on it. That was like inappropriate on so many levels. And I just can't understand what this is. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Oh, God, so. it was disgusting. I remember seeing like the trailer for it and realizing like how young they were. And I was like, this is disgusting. How could they do this? And I think this just sort of goes hand in hand, like not to give anyone here an out. They made a mistake. They should be like, you'll call out for it. But there's also a culture around, you know, cheerleading and that kind of like high school girl kind of thing. Like it's a trope for a reason and it's harmful. I mean, the culture is there in the trope because, like, the cheerleaders I know are athletes. They're gymnasts. Which is what they should be. Which is what they are and should be represented as in media. I agree with you. Exactly. (sighs) Okay, well, after that terrible realization that you brought to us, can we hope for something better from our community today? Yes, absolutely. Before we play the message this week, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail about where do you see fanaticism in Supernatural? What is Dean's favorite Halloween candy? Or to respond to anything else that we discussed today. And you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Please and thank you. We love hearing from everybody, and it's so much fun. This week, we have a message from Lisa. Hi, Drew and Marie. This is Lisa. I wanted to leave a voicemail because I was so excited, just as you all were, to get to the beginning of season four and all of the doors that have literally been flung wide open for the show. And I wanted to let you know how much I appreciate the analysis and talking about light and dark and Dean and Sam and where Sam's story is going and where Dean's story is going. I'll admit I hadn't really thought about Dean coming out of his grave as kind of a a rebirth of sorts. And I loved how him taking his newfound self to his father figure and all the things that that implied. I just loved that a lot. And then thinking about Angels and Cass and, and your other caller who was talking about all the Christian implications and listening to that voicemail kind of made my head implode a little because I could think about things that are going to happen further on down the road. And I feel like not only are Dean and Sam really trying to take on that sacrifice mantle, but I'm really kind of starting to look at the rest of the series and see if they aren't perhaps taking the place of the Christ figure that's missing. I think your caller was right in that the story is staying pretty firmly in Old Testament territory. Like we're not touching Jesus or the New Testament or any of that, but I'm having large thoughts. And Marie, you'll know what I mean probably about how the series ends and what the show does to avoid getting into 
New Testament territory at all. And, and just the choices they make in deviating from the New Testament of Christian story. But I honestly am going to be watching, re-watching the rest of the series with an eye toward Sam and Dean. I personally am thinking more Dean specifically taking the place of the Christ figure in the story as the show goes on. And especially with y'all's analysis of Dean as a queer character, that just puts so many layers into the story for me. And again, my head is just kind of bursting with all the possibilities of story, most of which are, like you said, probably not intentional, but definitely interesting to think about and contemplate as we rewatch the show. So thank you for all of your thoughts and analysis, and I'm looking forward to the next episodes. I'm weirdly excited about a really weird part of this voicemail that I don't think anyone expected me to be so excited about. If I'm wrong, I'm going to feel really bad. But I feel like this is the first time we've really had a voicemail from one listener responding to a separate listener's voicemail. As much as there wasn't any like big, crazy new revelations, it was very much a just like a seeing somebody else connect the dots the same way the voicemail made us do it. And it was very exciting to get that. Obviously, Lisa, as you stated, there are some things coming up that I'll be intrigued to see more of, because, again, as much as I don't know the Old Testament super well, I kind of have the Sparknote version of it in mind. So I'll be intrigued to see where those go. I'm also now terrified to know what you meant about the finale in relation to not entering the New Testament. Although I think I have some ideas already based around what I do know from the finale. But again, I'm, I'm excited to be surprised. I hope. Lisa, thank you so much for this amazing message. My face went from like super smiling and excited and like, you know, like with bright eyes, bright eyes, bushy tailed to like, you know, head in my hands, like, oh my God, I can't believe that she made that connection. <laughs> we, we listen to these, these voicemails basically live. I go on a slight delay to avoid any spoilers. America can stop me. But we're still on our FaceTime call, just on mute. So I just have like the reaction a few seconds delayed. And like, I just see like that. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like, looking at the recording that I realized, oh, that. Sorry, I had to just break that for a second. Oh, yeah. No, I think I think it's a very important piece of information at this point, because it's yeah, this is not something that I had put together. <laughs> I am devastated by this. I know I'm <laughs> laughing, but it's more, it's genuinely out of discomfort. Wow. I'm going to need a moment to like digest this. <laughs> but Lisa, thank you so much for kind of like putting this together for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what else to say. I'm just, I'm like deeply shocked, you know, like to my core, where I think that this is going to change the way that I look at some moments in the series. So thank you very much for this future revelation, I guess. I'm just going to say thank you for, again, an amazing voicemail, but also an amazing chance to watch Mary go from, as you put it, bright-eyed, bushy tail to tail between your legs. Now, after that lovely voicemail, shall we reflect on this episode a little more together? I think we need to. Would you like to get us started with your uh, reflection or call to action this week? 
Sure, I'd actually like to start by reading a quote by Nicholas Davy, who is a philosopher and a professor of philosophy. And this is from his book, Unquiet Understanding, which talks about Gadamerian hermeneutics. And for those who dabble, you know, just so that you're aware. So the quote is, Understanding is the process of coming to understand that when we understand, we understand differently. The difference between what we once understood and now understand is itself understood. As a result, our understanding of ourselves, our past, and of the world we find ourselves in acquires new coordinates and reconfigures itself accordingly. When we understand ourselves differently, we have moved on. So I know that this is a big one to digest. In other words, if I can sort of break it down for us, the only way to really understand anything is to see the difference between what you thought the thing was and what you now see the thing as being. And basically, once you see that, you'll see yourself, you'll see the world, and you'll see your place in the world a little differently. And so my call to action from this is to try to re-examine some of my positions, particularly in regards to how I see the characters in the show, to see if maybe there's another perspective that might be just as valid as my current one. And I think that this fits really well into, you know, fanaticism and never allowing yourself to be wrong, right? It's okay to change your mind is, is basically what I'm saying <laughs> in very complicated terms. I'm sorry. I love a good quote that plays with the wording, like the fact that it's rep repeatedly using the word understand or variants of it to help drive the point. I then thank you for dumbing it down for me into much better layman's terms that make it a lot easier to understand. Although as soon as you change my perspective on that quote and I reread it, I understood it better. So it weirdly self-fulfilling prophecy in itself, a little bit of Ouroboros there for you. This is written in technical philosophical language. So it's not necessarily everybody who's used to reading that and that's fine, right? And uh, me explaining it is not dumbing it down. It's making it accessible for people because otherwise like you will, like not you, you, but uh, if you're not, if people are not used to reading technical philosophical language, it can be really difficult to understand. And that's what I love doing. I love making complex thoughts accessible to everybody. I mean, if that isn't a definition of this show in some level, then I don't know what is. Hmm, thank you. What about you, Drew? So funny enough, we find ourselves trending on treading on similar ground. I look at Sam eating cast and just how quickly he goes from enamored and awestruck to just downtrodden and hurt. You know, it can be tough to meet someone you idolize and then be struck down by how unlike the image of them you hold in your head they are. I've been lucky in meeting most of my heroes or a good number of them and having not been disappointed yet because I, you never know, but I've heard horror stories. Ultimately, I am reminded and I want to remind our listeners that everyone on this planet, regardless of their fame or money or power, everyone's just human. Someone may never be like what you imagined or like their character they portrayed. And that's okay. They're human. They're allowed to make mistakes or have a bad day or all of this to say simply, don't expect too much from someone who you only know through story and maybe that one time you did meet them was just a shit day for them. They're not perfect. You know, a, a little rambly way of saying, you know, the old adage of never meet your heroes, I don't believe that per se. I just say meeting them and then take a grain of salt if it wasn't the best day. 
I think that this is a different take on on this episode. So that's I love that. Thank you very much. I'm glad I could share that with you. And hopefully as this episode as these episodes move on, we will get Cass a little bit less fanatical about God and get more doubt in him so we can have more fun with him. (laughs) Well, he does stay on for quite some time, so there's time for that. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Figuru. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle, for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Lisa for her message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. I figured that we could talk a little bit about what fanatis... Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, it's a tough word. Ah, I hate this word. 